Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Adam Ramsey with meditations on the words of Jesus from John's Gospel. Jesus there in John 16 gives us both promises and clarity about what life in him is going to look like. And he acknowledges both that this life will include sorrows and troubles that will intersect our lives. Jesus is honest about suffering. And at the same time, there's also these promises that should we believe them, will actually invincibilize us to persevere through those difficult valleys that will come our way. So Jesus says things like, your sorrow will turn into joy. And that's a promise that he gives to his people. Adam Ramsey, next. Pastor Adam Ramsey helps us reflect deeply on the words of Jesus in John's Gospel in the new devotional, Truly, Truly, I Say to You. Coupled with insights from 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon, Adam says this devotional is ideal for Lent or for any time of the year. He leads Liberty Church on the Gold Coast, Australia. Here's Kimberly Burchell. Adam, you structured this book to be used for Lent, and it can be used at any time, but you did it specifically for Lent. So for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with observing Lent, what is Lent, and how do you see it as beneficial to believers? Yeah, well, Lent is is the period in the church calendar leading up to Easter where uh, historically uh, Christians from various denominations have practiced a sense of reminding themselves of the gospel and reminding themselves of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And uh, it's frequently marked by fasting or abstaining from something. And that can be uh, great and fine. But the point of Lent really is remembering the sacrifice of Christ and driving that home into our hearts any way that we can. And so that's that's what we've tried to do in the book, Truly, Truly, I Say to You, is to look at Jesus uh, and his words through John's gospel and press the truth of that into our hearts as we prepare ourselves to, to walk towards the uh, Easter weekend. I wonder, do you know when did the observance of Lent begin? How old is this tradition? It's a good question. I'm not exactly sure. I know it was probably around the 4th or 5th century uh, as far as when this began to be practiced. I couldn't give you an exact date. So it's, it's quite common within Catholic traditions, but then in, in plenty of Protestant traditions as well. But again, yeah, the point of Lent is to think through what it is that Jesus has done for us and get our eyes off of ourselves by fasting, abstaining, sacrificing ourselves and looking at him. You state in the introduction that you have one purpose for this book. What is it? I want people to savor the life-renewing words of Jesus and to really just stare at what he has said. We often we talk about the miracles of Jesus and the works of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And, and I mean, everything about Jesus is amazing. We believe that as Christians. And, and with this book, the goal was to just consider some of his sayings. Uh, and zero in on each of these different sayings, at least one from every single chapter in John's gospel, and take that phrase or that sentence 
and turn it around a few times in the reader's eye uh, so that it lingers with us through the day. And they're all quite short. They're all only five to 10 minutes of reading max, but they help us to behold Jesus and his words for us. So this is a devotional book. It's meant to be a devotion during the time of Lent. And so there are 42 days of Lent. Is that correct? That's right. And so 42 well, well, chapters. There's 42. There's 42 um, uh, technically, there's 40 uh, days. Some people count 46, but there's 42 devotionals here. So 40 days from Ash Wednesday, which is February 22nd, leading uh, this year at least, uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. And then there's a couple of bonus chapters in there looking at the aftermath of the resurrection. What made you choose the book of John and the words of Jesus for the devotional? Well, I love John because John John paints the deity of Jesus, I believe, most clearly. Uh, perhaps anywhere else, uh, from, from anywhere in the scriptures, we see John capturing the words of Jesus in ways that, that kind of shock us at times, that are, that are genuinely profound with how he references himself when it comes to the reality that he is not a mere man. Uh, he is not merely a good man. He is the God man, fully God and fully man. And so John gives us this close up view of not just Jesus, the son of man, but Jesus, the God who became man. Adam, what are your thoughts on why Jesus uses the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, which is the name of the book? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a way uh, he he says that phrase so frequently, doesn't he? In different parts of John, truly, truly, I say to you, and then he'll he'll go on to say something important for our lives. Truly, truly, I say to you is a way of saying, pay attention, listen up, pay attention real close right now. It's kind of like your mom using your middle name. Uh, if, if my mom uses my middle name, and it's not just Adam, but Adam James Ramsey, uh, there's, there's a tension grabbing power in that. And so when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, or, or in Hebrew, Aramaic, it'd be more of truly, I'd say to you, just a big attention-grabbing moment. It forces us to lean in and listen to what's coming next. Yes. I wonder if our listeners can relate to their parents or their mom using their middle name. I know I can. My mom <laughs> definitely used my middle name when uh, she really wanted to get my attention or when I was doing something wrong. And she needed to get my attention. That was when she used my middle name. (laughs) Um, We've probably all heard the name Spurgeon, but some may not know much about him other than that he was a preacher from another century. Uh, So please tell us a bit about Spurgeon and why you've included his words in your devotional book. Oh, look, I I love Charles Spurgeon. I'm, I'm such a fan. And as, as far as brilliance and, and, and power and wit and imagery, when it comes to their words, few people in the last 2000 years rival Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, he's got a ton of wonderful content. And so for me personally, even just researching for this book and reading through hundreds and hundreds of Spurgeon sermons and, and book chapters uh, was genuinely one of the most edifying things that I've, I've ever done uh, in my own life. Uh, hunting for the right words to help drive home the words of Jesus 
in each of the chapters uh, or each of these these short devotionals rather. So Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century pastor, preacher, writer. How many books did he write? It was something in the vicinity of 150 books. Uh, his sermon, his preached sermons that have been transcribed and collected for us is the largest set of books by a Christian author uh, in the history of Christianity. So 63 volumes. And uh, and so just mining him for content and drawing in the way that he uses metaphor, uh, particularly and, and rhetorical devices to drive home biblical truth. Virgin really is in a league of his own. So uh, plus uh, many people maybe who are only kind of familiar with Charles Spurgeon, they, they may have come across one of his own devotionals, which is morning by morning uh, or evening by evening, two different devotionals there, and, and employed those in their own lives, perhaps without even really knowing it. Uh, they're very well-known devotionals there. So, so having him as a writing partner, uh, I think definitely elevated my own writing. Uh, it bleeds through every page of the book. And I'm, I'm really excited for people to, to lean in on what he has to say about what Jesus himself said. I want to take just a little sidetrack here for a minute. Let's say one of, some of our listeners want to dig deeper into Spurgeon. How can the regular person who's not, who's not a pastor, can, can we get a hold of these works of Spurgeon, and how could we find them? I'm, I'm familiar with the checkbook of faith, which I believe is yeah. Spurgeon, yes. Yeah, and, that's right. um, how, but how could we get a hold of some of these other works and read through some of his sermons? Well, I mean, my two favorite books by Spurgeon, uh, one is All of Grace, uh, just a beautiful book, uh, really around the gospel um, and how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the other one is Lectures to My Students, which, again, I love that I've as a pastor, but I, it, it, it is beneficial to, I believe, any Christian uh, seeking to be fruitful uh, in their work in the kingdom of God. But here's the nice thing with Spurgeon is Pretty much all of his sermons are available online for free. Uh, you can't listen to them, unfortunately. Uh, we'd all, we all wish that some sound sound recording equipment like the ones we're using today was available at the uh, end of the 19th century there. But we do have them written down. And you can access them if you just Google Charles Spurgeon sermons, or I think it's on Spurgeon.com is even one of the websites, or SpurgeonGems.com is another website. There's a, there's a catalog there of searchable sermons by what, what the text or passage of scripture that uh, he was preaching on. And each of those sermons are in and of themselves. They, they might take you 10 to 20 minutes to read. Uh, it doesn't take too long, but they are jam-packed with biblical truth and Christ-exalting good news and and actually really quite easy to access. Thank you for that tip on where to go and, and where to find that. You mentioned that one of the joys you experienced while writing your book is reading those sermons. Give us a bigger sense of how did that affect you to read through all of that? Well, when you when you spend that amount of time with someone, even just with their their written works, and it's not just you know one morning or or one afternoon, but a period of of months and months and months, just digging. Uh, we, again, there's there's a, there's a goal to the digging. It wasn't just for fun, and, and you know it was, it was to help write a book together, but finding the right kind of words that would drive home the truth of the words of Jesus 
to our hearts, it it kind of helped me see a little bit through his eyes when he's staring at the Bible. And so there's Charles Spurgeon and 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 he's reading his Bible somewhere in the 1850s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And and he's he's staring at Jesus. And here's this the Prince of Preachers looking at what Jesus himself said and and wrestling with it himself. And then out comes these different word images and pictures and 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 you know rhetorical flushes and turns of phrases that stick in the mind. And so as you as I kind of deep dived into these things, looking at the Bible, particularly the Gospel of John, through the eyes of Charles Spurgeon, it really did feel like I was having a conversation with him in some regards there and was able to sit under that teaching for myself. And then writing out of that was just honestly such a wonderful experience. Uh, so again, this is why I just uh, I so want to recommend people who haven't really read much or engaged much with uh, the works of Charles Spurgeon. You will be very blessed uh, when you do. How do you pray this book will impact the reader? My my hope would be that as people use this book in its devotional sense, whether that's over the, the Lent period leading up to Easter, over these next few months, or, or later in the year, or really, it works at any time, like, like any good devotional is meant to. It, you, you can use it any, at any time. My hope for the book is that people will be drawn out of their circumstances, the troubles that they are facing right now, the frustrations and the anxieties that are perhaps haunting their own hearts at the moment, and to just stare at Jesus and listen to what he has to say and not skim through what he has had to say. And that's why each devotional focuses in on one phrase or one sentence. And again, just like a diamond, turns that diamond around angle by angle, giving us a, a little bit of a different view on the words that have been said here by our Lord. My hope is that people would be renewed and experience a genuine renewal by the power of the Spirit as they simply get their eyes on Jesus. Mm. And coming up to Easter is such a good time to do that. I know that whenever I intentionally do that, take that time coming up to Easter, it's just good to to peer at him, as you say. Yes. We oh, need it. We most. do. Yeah. We do. I'm speaking with Adam Ramsey about his book, Truly, Truly, I Say to You. Adam is a husband, father, pastor, and leader. He leads Liberty Church on the Gold Coast, Australia, and also serves as the network director for Acts 29 Asia Pacific. Adam, how did you pick the passages from the book of John to include in your book? That was probably the hardest thing for the entire book was choosing which which 40 to 42 sayings. And we, we landed on 42 from the words of Jesus to to dive deep into. And and as, as everyone who's read the Bible and particularly the gospel of John knows, Jesus has a lot to say. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, so for me, it was about trying to first and foremost get the entire scope of what Jesus was saying. So every single chapter from John's gospel will have at least one phrase, sentence saying from Jesus as a devotional in the book. And it's 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 ordered chronologically. So it's we're going from John one all the way through to the end of John. And then it was just kind of whittling it down and trying to work out what what things of Jesus 
have we looked at in a devotional already that's maybe similar to something else he said that those kind of go together and then finding what are some of the even perhaps more unexpected things that Jesus said and and digging into those and so it's not just the really well-known things like you must be born again or or I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or abide in me, and I will abide in you. Uh, well-known sayings of Jesus. I wanted to kind of make some space for some of the, the more obscure ones, uh, like destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you want to go away as well? The ruler of this world has no claim on me. Uh, and there's maybe a sample there of things that that are perhaps not as devotionally oriented in the way we might spend our Bible study time, but really important for us to consider. It is good to consider those phrases that we don't hear as often or that we're like, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I've written down a few recently in my own morning Bible time, like, what does that mean? I need to look deeper into that on certain yeah. things. So good, you're bringing those out for us. Now, I noticed that you didn't choose a passage from chapter 9 of John. Is there a reason for that? Uh, I have a real hatred of all things number 9. I no, mean. not really. In, in John 9, is Jesus? we see Jesus healing the blind man uh, and, then, and then some of the aftermath of that. So there's a lot of testimony there. And because it's a part of an extended discourse there where Jesus had covered some of those things in John 8, saying, I am the light of the world, which he repeats again uh, later on there, we, we thought, okay, that's kind of covered there in this extended passage. We can keep going and, uh, and hit John 10. Because in truth, there were no chapters back then, right? It was just... This is right. This is just one letter. That's right. One letter. And, and the point was scope, covering the scope of Jesus's life recorded by John uh, there in his gospel and making sure that we, we captured the essence of that. Okay. As you read the words of Jesus, was there a particular passage that challenged you in a fresh way or changed your personal walk with Jesus? Mm. I mean, many of them to be frank, and, and, and we've preached through uh, most of the Gospel of John uh, at our own church, and so it's not, not a book we're unfamiliar with at, at our church uh, for me as a preacher, but the one passage that I found myself, that there were several that I found myself just particularly struck by, struck anew would maybe be a better way of saying it, mm -hmm. and just staring at these words of Jesus where it, it it wasn't that I hadn't heard these words before, but they hit me in an unexpected way. One of them was was his words from the cross with uh, to John himself and to Mary, his mother, saying, behold your mother, behold your son. And just considering the sacred weightiness of that moment for John, as Jesus is entrusting the care of his own mother into, into John's, John's keeping, uh, that's a that's a really really holy moment there, and we're seeing there the beginnings of how in Christ those who aren't related by blood become family uh, within the family of God. So that was that was some profound moments during that one, but perhaps for me is that the passage in John eight with the woman caught in adultery, because it forced me to consider: okay, how will Jesus treat us when we really mess up big? 
Like when we drop the ball and sin, not just sin, but sin big, we're talking the worst day of our lives kind of sin. And for this woman, she likely didn't wake up with this day uh, intending for it to be the worst day of her entire life so far. And yet it was. And she was uh, she was caught in adultery and she was undeniably guilty. But at the same time, there was something also clearly off in the hypocrisy of what was happening. It was only the woman brought before Jesus. And she was kind of used as an ethical bait to try and get Jesus to say something or to deny the scriptures and the Old Testament law and and uh, and and you know, the Pharisees only quoted half of the the passage in Leviticus 20 that condemned her and not the rest of it that also condemned the man who was P.S. nowhere to be seen. So, you know, something was fishy there and Jesus could smell the hypocrisy. And and then Jesus basically answers everyone, the religious leaders, and says to them, essentially, go ahead and stone her. But with one small caveat, let the one of you without sin cast the first stone. And I, I just put myself into that moment And we're told that beginning from the oldest to the youngest, slowly, uh, they dropped their stones and began to to walk away uh, as they realized that that none of them themselves were without sin. And then Jesus looks at this woman and says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. And here's what struck me. The only person in that crowd and really in the entire history of the world, who was qualified to throw the first stone was Jesus. And on the worst day of this woman's life, he who exclusively possesses that right to condemn her forgives her. And that's what makes grace amazing. And it's not that he, he doesn't call her to holiness. He does. It's just that the verdict precedes the instruction the verdict of neither do i condemn you precedes the instruction of therefore go and sin no more because it's that verdict that empowers the instruction and that command from jesus so i think when i was reading through that passage particularly just the fact that jesus on the worst day of this person's life says neither do i condemn you go sin no more it's just a beautiful reminder of what his heart is yes I guess what I'm thinking is that the enemy tells us exactly the opposite and heaps condemnation on That's us. That's right. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. It's astounding. That's right. It's it's incredible. Yes. And and again, we know that in Christ, Romans 8, 1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that little yeah. word no there means not now, not ever. Right. We in Christ will never again belong to the category of condemnation. And it's because of nothing we've done, but because of the mercy of God poured yes. out in Jesus Christ. Was there a particular day's devotion that you found more difficult to write? You know what? The I, I, I decided to do one on John 19 for that, that strange sacred Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And, and, I, and, and so in this book, looking at the words of Jesus, I decided to do one of the devotionals and I kept it shorter, uh, just around um, the silence of Jesus from the grave. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've always felt odd on that Easter Saturday. And Good Friday feels like this 
you know, we gather with our church and we feel the weight of, of Easter and of our sins and, and the, the even greater weight of his love for us and the blood that was poured out for us. And we know Sunday's coming. We know resurrection's come. We know there's a party on the way. We're going to celebrate. But Saturday feels in between. And there's, there's a tension I've found on that Saturday for me personally. So I, I wrote a reflection on just the silence of Holy Saturday and what it was like for the world to hear the voice of Christ no more on this in-between day between his death and his resurrection. That was really challenging, but I also found it really, really edifying to think through what it must have been like putting myself in the shoes of the disciples to to have to hear his voice no more and for them not not quite grasping the fullness of uh his prophecy around i'm gonna rise again Mm -hmm. uh for them feeling a sense of of ending of like it's over now what and you can imagine the surprise and joy on easter sunday morning Mm. so how do you recommend that we spend that saturday Uh, honestly i i find it's helpful to to spend that day uh, or at least somewhere in the day, reflective. It's a day where we can feel the already not yet tension of life uh, in Christ, this side of the resurrection, um, but the other, uh, the, the preceding side of of His return. And in the same way that that Advent, for example, the season leading up to Christmas, mm-hmm. reminds us that that something's on the way, something is coming, something wonderful is coming. And as Old Testament people were waiting for the promise of the of the Messiah to come to them, we're, we're in this this waiting time as well. And Saturday, Holy Saturday, is a chance for us to feel that and to remind ourselves: yes, we we have now the promise of the resurrection. We know our definite future in Christ. And that is a future marked by resurrection life. But right now, we still feel all the sharp edges of life. We still feel the doubt. We still feel the the anxieties and the fears and the frustrations. We still sin. We're still working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so Saturday is a chance to just acknowledge the tension and to rest in the finished work of Jesus. It is finished. Good Friday is true. Resurrection's coming, but we're living in the middle right now. And he's he is with us there in a profound way that that those who were navigating the first Holy Saturday didn't have that same assurance. All right. As we finish up our time together, what are your favorite words of Jesus? I love the way that Jesus finishes out his instructions to the disciples on his final night. Uh, So before he prays for them in John 17, and, and John 17 is just a wonderful wonderful prayer. Uh, If you want to know what it's like to hear Jesus pray for you, then read John 17, because you as a believer, even now in 2023, are being prayed for by Jesus in that prayer. And you should definitely check that out and maybe read that today. But the final words of Jesus in John 16, where he gives his, his last instructions, if you will, to his disciples before he they go off to Gethsemane and, and are going to, he's going to be betrayed into the hands of the Sanhedrin by Judas. This is a great place to go for when we are feeling discouraged, when we are feeling uncertain about what's coming up. And Jesus there in John 16 gives us both promises and clarity about what life in him is going to look like. And he acknowledges both that this life will include sorrows and troubles that will intersect our lives. Jesus is honest about suffering. 
And at the same time, there's also these promises that should we believe them will actually invincibilize us to persevere through those difficult valleys that will come our way. So Jesus says things like your sorrow will turn into joy. And that's a promise that he gives to his people. There will be sorrow, but it will turn into joy. Uh, He says things like in the world, you will have trouble, Mm -hmm. but take heart. I have overcome the world. So those are both in in the latter part of John 16. I love those those words. Take heart. Mm -hmm. I have overcome the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that God is more committed to his mission unfolding to his plan unfolding, to the work he has begun in my own life than I ever will be. And so I can take out. He's got this. Let's keep going. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Adam Ramsey, author of Truly, Truly, I Say to You, Meditations on the Words of Jesus from the Gospel of John. He leads Liberty Church on the Gold Coast, Australia. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Kevin Sorbo on his Christian faith, his acting career, and his latest film. I got very vocal, uh, not in a negative way. I just started questioning people on the on the internet. I saw questioning people on movie sets quietly. They would be very loud and brash about bashing God or bashing mm-hmm. you know conservatives or whatever, bashing Christians. And I would get them just one on one to talk to them and ask them about it. So my wife said, "You better be careful. They're going to come after you." And I, I thought, well, why would they come after me? Why can't I have a freedom of speech? Well, sure enough, my manager and agent about a dozen years ago said we can't work with you anymore. Because mm. apparently being a Christian in Hollywood is worse than being a conservative. But put them together, I'm like a double leper to these people. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.